Kenji Lopez-Alt knows something about the walk. Besides having written a new book, which is full of stories, recipes, and techniques, he is still using his original walk. We talk with him today. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Kenji Lopez-Alt. Besides his YouTube tutorials and his work for the New York Times and Serious Eats, he has written a new book called The Walk. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about it. Welcome, Kenji. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So before we sort of talk about that, I want to ask you, how was it that you made this transition from kind of architecture and science mm-hmm. to food? Um, it was, well, it was, <laughs> it was kind of accidental. Um, you know, it was the, the summer after my sophomore year of college. I, I started college as a biology major, actually, and I I'd spent a couple summers working in biology labs. Um, and uh, I, you know, I loved my, you know, my father's a biologist, my, my grandfather's an organic chemist, I loved biology um, and learning about it. Um, but what I sort of discovered after a couple summers working in labs is that I don't love the lab work. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, the, the day to day work of it. Uh, and so in college, I sort of started thinking, like, is, is this really what I want to want to do? Um, and so I figured I'd take the summer off after my sophomore year, just get a job, you know, make some money, but not do anything academic so that I could sort of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so that's what I did. And I went around actually looking for a job as a, as a server at restaurants, you know, just to make some money for the summer. Um, mm-hmm. And as it happened, you know, just by pure chance, one of the restaurants I walked into, um, the manager there told me that they had a, a prep cook who called in, who didn't show up that day. Um, and uh, if I could come and work in the kitchen that afternoon and evening that I could have a job as a cook for the summer. Um, so that's what I did. And, um, you know, and after that, I, I finished off my degree. Um, I, you know, I, I transferred to the architect, architecture department. I finished my degree in architecture. But the whole time I, um, I was working uh, in restaurants part time. And then after I finished college, I went straight into restaurants because I, uh, I loved I love the industry and I love, you know, I loved working in kitchens and I love cooking. So, um, you know, that, that's sort of, I kind of accidentally fell upon that. I'd never really done it in my life before that. So it wasn't as though you'd spent <clears throat> high school or middle school or something like that, puttering in the kitchen. It- no, no, I barely cooked. I mean, that, my, my first, the, my first real time cooking was as a professional cook was as a job. <laughs> um, no, I, I didn't grow up cooking. I didn't grow up, you know, with a, with the kind of family where you, you know, learn at your at your mother's knee at the kitchen. That that was not my experience growing up. Um, so re- really, uh, my first time my first time, first time cooking was at a restaurant. Well, I think I think it's really wonderful that you found something that you really cared about because yeah. so, so many people. I'm um, I, I went to law school, and mm-hmm. so it took me a long time to find something that wasn't law that I really right. liked. So I I think it's wonderful that that happened. So I also want to tell you how much I enjoyed your book. Oh, uh, thank you. 
this book is going to take me years to cook through um, <laughs> <laughs> because it is just so very, very dense. Um, I, I just think it's just fabulous. And so I, I'm really happy to uh, to be talking to the person who put all this work in <laughs> So one of the things I have to talk to you about is hard boiled eggs. Okay. So you talk about in this book, um, hard boiled eggs and mm -hmm. your um, experimentation mm -hmm. with different methods of boiling the eggs and all of that. You say specifically that peeled cold water eggs are nine times more likely to experience major flaws mm -hmm. than those that are started in hot water. Um, yes. And um, twice as likely to produce minor flaws. Now this yes. is very specific. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's based on lots of data. On lots of data. So. <laughs> no, I just I just saw that scientist making making sure that this was very precise and not just saying it's better to do it this way. That <laughs> way but it's nine times better. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, I mean, so so the specific thing is that yeah, if you if you start your eggs in cold water and bring it up to a boil, which is what I used to do. Um, yeah, they're, they're going to be much more difficult to peel than if you lower them into already boiling water or lower them into um, uh, like a preheated steam, steamy environment. Um, and that's based on, um, I've, so I've had over um, 100 people um, peeling eggs that were cooked through various methods um, in a double blind setting. Um, so uh, over 1500 eggs and over 100 people um, peeling them. And, you know, and the way we did those experiments, I cooked the eggs a bunch of different ways. Um, they were not labeled and uh, other than just numbered, you know, and each each person got them in a random order. Um, the person giving, taking notes and giving the experiment um, did not know what the eggs were either. So it was completely double blind. Um, and uh, we recorded how long it took each person to peel each egg. Um, we also recorded um, just a sort of subjective take take from from the person on which eggs eggs were more difficult and which eggs were easier to peel. Um, and then we also went over each peeled egg and counted um, sort of the number of little imperfections on the surface, um, as well as the larger sort of cracks and stuff that that, that occurred. Um, and so that that information and that the right the, the technique that I recommend in this book. Um, in the walkbook uh, is based on lots and lots of data and experimentation. <laughs> I've probably tested boiled eggs more than I've tested anything else in my life. <laughs> so were the eggs that that the people who were participating were mm -hmm. shell were peeling, were they cold out of the refrigerator or were they out of the pan? So all, all of the eggs were cooked and then um, and then chilled. And so they were chilled also in various ways. So we tested both chilling with an ice bath, uh, chilling naturally at room temperature. Um, so so they were chilled a couple different ways. Um, so in, in the end, it turns out, you know, the ice bath, the, chill, the chilling method doesn't actually make that much of a difference. Really, like by far, the uh, the most important factor is whether the water is hot or cold to, to begin with. OK, well. I have to tell you how impressed I was with this because I really um, uh, resonate to your way of kind of presenting things as not set in stone. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that 
certainly there is no definitive recipe for anything unless you've right. made up something and you said, <laughs> this is my recipe and it's definitive. But um, it's, you, you know, everybody cooks differently in whatever place you are. And so hmm. this person's is going to be different from that one's. So I, I appreciate that, but I also appreciate the fact that you you do give relatively precise measurements at mm -hmm. the same time. And that gives people who've never been to any of the places where the food in the walk comes from mm -hmm. some way to um, approximate a sort of baseline. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that's also important. And, you know, and I think those two, those two things, like the idea that there's no right and wrong way to cook and that you should cook how you want, um, that the, that idea, and then the idea that, you know, they're, by testing things, you can figure out what actually works and what doesn't. Those two things, I think, are not um, in conflict with each other. Um, you know, the way I think about it and the analogy I use in the introduction of the book is that um, if cooking is, you know, if, if a recipe is like a turn-by-turn uh, -turn directions on a map, you know, if I'm if I'm at my house and I say I want to go to the post office, I can ask my phone, how do I get to the post office? And then I could get to the post office without ever looking up. I can just look at my phone, follow the follow the dotted line and I'll get to the post office, um, you know, and, and that will get me there. And that's totally fine. That's what a recipe does. Um, understanding a technique is more like handing someone a map, you know, and saying, um, here's you. Here's the post office. Like, here's a suggested route. But if you want to go a different way. You have the information now to do it, you know, and you have and by learning these things, you get the information, and you get the confidence to do it. So, you know, so when I say an egg peels better this way, it's not it's not really saying this is the way you must cook eggs. It's saying, you know, this is the location. This this is the technique. Here are some things on the map. These, you know, I, my map still has to be precise uh, in order for it to be useful. But you can choose what route you want to take and you can choose what destination you want to go to. Um, so I think, you know, understanding technique and understanding how things work and the science of cooking um, actually, rather than restricting you in the kitchen, actually makes you more free because it lets you have the confidence, at least hopefully it lets you have the confidence to, you know, cook the way you want to cook and to stray from recipes with the confidence that, is, that um, the food is still going to come out uh, successfully. And so when you were writing this book, how much time did you devote to it every day and over what length of time? Well, so the book, um, you know, from the time my last book came out until this one is uh, five years, a little over five years. Um, but, I, you know, I, I in, the me in the meantime, I also had a daughter. I opened a restaurant. I, I wrote a children's book. Um, so, you know, it was kind of a, a, a project that was kind of going on in the background for several years. And then, um, you know, and then the actual sitting down and writing it part took, uh, I don't know, eight months. <laughs> and then, um, and then the photographing, uh, took another, another few months to do. Um, but you know, the, the, the type of stuff that, that's in the book, all the recipe testing and things, um, a lot of that comes from, uh, well, years of experience doing it, you know, I've been cooking this, the same walk that all, every recipe in this book is photographed in is the same walk I've had, uh, since I was 19 or 20 years old. So, you know, it's, it's like a 22 year old walk. Um, and so I've been cooking in this same walk for a long time and I have a lot of experience cooking in walks. Um, and, um, you know, and I tested a lot of recipes on, on neighbors and friends and family and, and things like that. So, you know, writing a cookbook, uh, there is a lot of testing to do, but, you know, unlike, unlike, <laughs> unlike, uh, working like a biology lab at, you know, people want to have, you know, you, you can serve the results for dinner, um, which is, which is what makes, uh, kitchen experiments, I think more fun. <laughs> And so does your family say, I don't want to eat that again? 
yes, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, certainly. Um, my uh, yeah, my wife does. My wife does sometimes say, um, you know, I've I've had, I, I've had the, like no more noodles. I've had these new, these same noodles for the last week. You know, things like that. <laughs> And even is though this, is there a, is there is there a baby on my end or on your end? It's on your end. It's on my end. Okay, I apologize for that. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> we um, we have a baby in the house, and I guess his voice is coming up from somewhere. <laughs> so I want to um, to talk to you also about the idea of salad. And this is not from the book, so um, pardon me, but it's, it's okay. from one of your. It's from one of your. Um, your YouTube videos. So you uh, made Salad Nisoise and uh, that resonates with me because I, first of all, I really like it. But once I did an experiment, which was totally insane to me, but landed in, in Nice and mm -hmm. had Salad Nisoise and every okay. single day as I drove west mm -hmm. along the Mediterranean, um, I, I ate it at wherever I, I was. Okay. I wanted to find the point where it became a composed salad. Okay. <laughs> and um, so that happened to me in Khan. It, okay. It, it became composed. And then any place west of that, it was composed. And I was really excited to be able to make a demarcation line uh -huh. and say it's it's become composed here. But we all think of it as a composed salad in terms yeah. of find in almost any cookbook. Uh -huh. And yet in Nice, it wasn't composed. Right. It's tossed together. It was tossed together. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so when I watched you make it on YouTube and you said, oh, I'm just going to toss it, you know, I'm not going to compose it. I got very excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think it's because, you know, when, when you have a salad niçoise um, in uh, southern France, it's just, you know, it's just the salad, right? It's just there's local ingredients. It's just it's a simple salad, right? And 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 it's often extremely simple. You know, it's often just you know tomatoes, maybe tuna or anchovies, a couple other vegetables, whatever's in season, some artichokes, maybe. You know, it's a very different thing. Where in the U.S., I think um, when you have or outside of southern France, when you have a niçoise salad, it's it's like a chefy thing, right? Yes, yeah, it's yes. not it's not like the casual it's not a casual thing that you just have at the at the local cafe. It's a chefy thing, and so. I think because because it's the chefy thing, we're used to having it in this sort of chefier looking format. Um, but you know, I think at its heart, it is still just sort of simple, seasonal, casual cooking, um, and it's delicious when you treat it like that. I think. I mean, it's good both ways, but yeah. But it is also sort of um, sort of more random when you eat it and you just stick your fork in it, and whatever comes up on your fork becomes mm -hmm. that bite. And then the next bite is um, is like that too. Whereas on a composed salad, you really kind of have to choose what it is you're going to eat, which yeah. is a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I apologize. How how loud is the baby on? I because I to me he's very loud. No, but I don't know baby, how much is coming through on your end. No, the baby is is really not loud on this end. Don't okay. <laughs> there is someone taking care of him. There's no I didn't just abandon a baby somewhere in the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. 
So, all right, if we could get back to the book for a minute now. I'm sorry, I had to make that little detour to France. Oh, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> because, uh, I, I just, um, to me, that's- Boiled eggs are relevant to it anyway, right? Yes, that's right. That's <laughs> true. Thank you for making that connection. Um, so I'm actually, I'm in love with the idea of a person saying, open up the refrigerator and take something that's out, that's in your refrigerator, and then- <laughs> apply these techniques to it mm -hmm. and then you'll get something really, really good. So tell us a little bit, and I think as we're, since we're talking about walks, tell us a little bit about why the walk is such a good pan. Well, I mean, I, th I think, I mean, largely it comes down to versatility. You know, there's so many things you can do with just this one pan. You know, it sits constantly on my stovetop. If you watch my videos, my walk is pretty much always there. It's either on my stovetop or hanging right next to it because um, I use it. Um, not every day, but, you know, at least four to five days a week. Um, and it's, and it's because it's so versatile, you know, you can, you can, of course you can stir fry in it, which I think is what the first thing people think of. Um, of course you can stir fry in it, but you can also, it's also like the best pan for deep frying. It works a lot better than the Dutch oven because it's, you know, it's wide, it catches splatter, it gives you room to maneuver. You can deep fry easily in it. You can pan fry, you can braise, you can simmer. Um, if you get a bamboo steamer, you can steam in it. Um, so there's just a, a huge variety of things you can do in just this one pan. Um, and it's also one of these pans where it's sort of like a cast iron skillet or a carbon steel skillet, the more you use it, the better it gets, you know? So it, it makes you, you sort of develop this relationship with it over time um, because it uh, it becomes comfortable to use and it becomes better and better to use the more you use it. Um, it's also, you know, as someone who has cooked with a, a wok for, through a variety of life stages, you know, I had it when I was in college, I cooked for friends in a dormitory. I cooked, I cooked, um, as a, you know, as a single person, I would have dinner parties. I would entertain people. Um, I cooked in it when it was just me and my wife in an apartment in New York. Um, and now I cook for, you know, a family of four with it. Um, and so it's an extremely adaptable Pam for a variety of, uh, situations. Um, and you also find that there, there are some recipes you can do in a walk that take a long amount of time. Um, but most most recipes that you cook in a wok are quick cooking. Um, so, you know, when, when you think of something like uh, the Western European cuisine, like if you think of uh, French cuisine in particular, um, a lot of it is sort of these slow processes where you're, you know, you're, you're, you start with a base ingredient and you're building up layers of flavor and you're reducing and you're concentrating. Um, Whereas with cooking uh, a lot of um, in, in the wok and then a lot of sort of more East Asian um, dishes, generally the, the protein or the vegetables or whatever the main ingredient is cooks very fast. Um, and you add flavor to them through the use of long fermented sauces and other sort of very flavorful aromatics and things like that. So you're able to build up really flavorful dishes, um, things that taste great, uh, but they come out much faster than a lot of sort of Western dishes do. Um, so, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's the convenience factor, um, as well as the versatility and the, and the range of things I can, I can make in it. So do you also, um, you know, use a stock pot and all of those other, um... so most of the recipes in the book, uh, at, at most they require a wok. Um, and then maybe a little pan of simmering water on the side. So some, some recipes will have you blanch some vegetables or blanch noodles or whatever while you're uh, cooking. And also a rice cooker if you want to, you know, if you want to, I, I find a rice cooker or a pressure cooker um, the easiest way to cook rice. Uh, but the vast majority of recipes in the book are 
just a walk, you know, a walk, a spatula, maybe a steamer and a lid. That's all you need. Um, so, you know, it's, I think it's also great for someone who's sort of just starting out cooking um, and, you know, maybe someone who just graduated from college or someone who who's, has their first real, you know, they're, they're for living on their own for the first time or, or really wants to get into cooking for the first time because it doesn't require this heavy investment, you know, cooking um, a lot of Western dishes. It's like you buy, you have to buy like the the Dutch oven, which could be, you know, 50 to $200. You could buy, you have to buy the set of saute pans. Um, you have to buy all this different equipment. Um, whereas with a wok, it's like you spend $40 on a wok, uh, you spend $5 on a spatula and you're, and you're ready to go, you know? Yeah. I also really, I really like all of the, um, the sauces themselves that you mm-hmm. get the recipes for. Mm-hmm. Um, for people to give those things a try, because there are a lot of, of, of um, sauces that you give a kind of a, a, a kind of jiffy fake recipe for, you know, for like, uh-huh. you can't get your hands on this, you can use this instead, kind yeah. of. And I love that because a lot of the uh, sauces that are things that you might just need a tablespoon of or something less. And then you just have this bottle that sits there forever because you haven't used it or whatever. And I, I love that. <laughs> well, you know, that's the, that's the other thing about, you know, when you have a, um, when, when you start cooking regularly in it, you know, first of all, you'll find that you, you do go through, even if you buy like a bottle of oyster sauce, right? It, you'll, you'll go through it relatively quickly once you start cooking regularly. Um, but also, you know, because most of the, many of the um, sort of the specialty ingredients like fermented bean paste and chili paste and chili oil and soy sauce and, you know, vinegar and stuff, um, because they're so, um, you know, highly salted and fermented and aged, they typically last a really long time, right? So you can buy a bottle of fish sauce and store it in a pantry um, and even if you only cook with it, you know, three times a year, that's fine. That bottle of fish sauce is going to be fine five years from now. Um, so, you know, so that fear that, um, that you're going to be wasting ingredients or throwing them out, um, is generally unfounded because, because most of these ingredients last a very long time anyway. But I, I actually like the idea of being able to taste it before I buy the sauce so I know. Oh sure, yeah. You know, uh, that's the part that I really like because if you're sitting there saying, "Okay, which of these sauces do I want to use, um, or play with, or whatever," you get a little bit of a, a way to taste them ahead of time, mm-hmm. uh, bef- without having to buy all six of them and say, "Right, oh, right, oh, right." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that that's a bad thing, but it's um it's it just gives you a way to introduce yourself to something if you're not familiar with it yeah yeah and i you know i do understand that some people don't have you know access to you you might not even be able to buy some of these things locally so some people you know some people will have to you know mail order very specialty ingredients and you you do want a way to be able to cook dishes without having to do that if you want to just try them out right Mm -hmm. so i want to talk to you about rice and i want to talk to you about garlic okay rice you talked about a rice cooker um and do you think that the rice cooker works well for all the different types of rice that you might make uh yeah i mean (laughs) yeah i mean you know rice rice cookers i think are among the the best (laughs) the best simple kitchen inventions out there um 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I cook all kinds of rice. I mean, you, you don't need a rice cooker. Right. But um, but especially, you know, in a growing up in a in an Asian family, you know, my mother's Japanese. I, we grew up with my 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 Japanese grandparents and my mother um, and rice was, you know, something we had at virtually every meal every day. Um, and so, you know, when you cook that amount of rice, just the idea of like being able to like put it in a pot, push a button and not worry about it um, is, I think, really appealing. And it, and it works for virtually any kind of rice that you're going to want that, that you'll want to cook. Um, you know, that, that said, you can cook rice in a wok or in a pot or whatever, you know, whatever else you want to do. It just requires a little bit more attention. Um, but any any Asian family you meet, um, I can pretty much guarantee they're, they're going to have a rice cooker in their kitchen uh, because it's so convenient. So in Louisiana, we eat rice every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, I don't know why I never got into a rice cooker. Um, and I guess it was because my mother, who cooked rice every day, never mm -hmm. used a rice cooker. And so mm -hmm. it was like it, when I learned how to make rice, it was like she would say, go make the rice kind of thing. And so you mm -hmm. have a rice cooker, so you didn't use it. <laughs> but it is appealing. I've been... As I read chapter after chapter with the reference to rice cookers, I kept saying, why don't you have a rice cooker? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, the, you, you can get really fancy rice cookers, but, um, but you really don't need anything more than, you know, the little $20 one with the yeah. insert and the, and the little sensor on the bottom and, um, and that's it, you know, um, they're they're inexpensive and they work so <laughs> right, right right the other thing is my mother and her my mother was born in in the united states but her parents came here to new orleans actually from sicily mm -hmm. and uh so garlic is very important yeah. and um so i love the the ways that you showed people how to cut garlic and uh -huh. gives you different flavors and mm -hmm different ways of becoming incorporated in the food. Um, and they were all very familiar. And that was something I thought was really interesting that that growing up uh, making Italian food, we had sliced garlic sometimes, mm -hmm. really mashed garlic versus minced garlic. And, right. and so I, I thought that that was something that was very similar, the the whole attempt. Yeah, 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 because, gar you know, garlic, um, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, similar to onions, where the, the, the flavor and aroma that we associate with garlic is something that doesn't actually naturally exist in the gar in garlic in its raw state. You have to actually rupture cells and then a chemical reaction takes place that creates these um, these sort of uh, pungent compounds. Um, and so the more cells you rupture and the more you sort of mix them up together, the more of that pungency is created. So that's why like, yeah, if you, if you roast a whole garlic clove, um, it comes out very sweet. If you slice it thin, it comes out with a milder flavor than if you really put it in a mortar and pestle and mash it up. Um, and so by, yeah, by adjusting the way in which you prepare the garlic, you can, you can get a whole different variety of flavors out of it. Yeah. And also whether you, you put it in oil or you just put it in the liquid after it's mm -hmm. done, then that makes a big difference too. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, that's, anyway, I felt like the two things that I most resonated with when I was reading the book were rice and mm -hmm. garlic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, really in New Orleans, we do eat rice every day. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
interesting. <laughs> I went. I, I I went to a rice factory the last time I was in Louisiana. In Louisiana. Oh, yeah. What kind of rice did you see? Um, I I think uh, I don't remember now. This is a uh, this is um must have been six or seven years ago. It was um I'd have to look up the name of the company, but uh, but you know, but it was it was a I think it was like a medium grain like Carolina style rice. I'm not sure, I'm not sure exactly. Okay. Okay, because now they've developed a, a actual hybrid of jasmine rice that grows mm. in Louisiana, which huh. is really interesting because the flavor is so different. And, yeah, um, yeah. That that they call it jasmine, J A Z Z M A. Okay, yeah. Clever. <laughs> but it's it's a jasmine rice, and there's another one that's they call pecan rice that mm. actually tastes like pecan smell um, oh that's interesting yeah yeah and it's very brown even when you take the husk off and everything. yeah uh, huh. and so it's but there's just some interesting rice here that's different than rice anywhere else they yeah don't yeah. grow enough of it to sell it the jasmine rice they do but the pecan rice they don't grow enough to sell it outside of louisiana uh, hmm. so nobody else well, that means i'll have to come visit sometime right you'll have to get some, <laughs> some pecan rice for sure yeah well so i want to thank you a whole lot for uh for being on this oh show. yeah thank you for having me and um i just recommend to everybody that uh they get a uh, a copy of the walk and begin to work their way through it because there's lots and lots <laughs> to learn. Um, not only the recipes, but the techniques are really, really thoroughly explained, which I just think is fascinating. And you don't just tell people how to do it, but you tell them why it works, which I just think. Is <laughs> well, that that was some, you know, that's sort of just when when I was when, you know when I wrote my first book, the Food Lab, and writing this, you know, all my food writing, I kind of I just I, I write it um, the way I would I would want a book that you know when I was learning how to how to cook, what I kind of what I wished existed, which was um, you know like I'm I'm the kind of person that wants to know like how the TV you know like I would take the back off the TV and see how it works, like I'm I, I was just that kind of kid. Um, so for me, the how is as important as the why. Well, but also when you know the how, you can apply it to something else. Oh, exactly. And yeah. if you only know it, this is what you do right now, it doesn't help you when you're doing something different. But the exactly. why does. And I, I just think that's incredibly important. So I appreciated that a, a whole lot. I'm glad you liked that. Well, thanks for thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.